You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production. Before Peter Riley built his construction company, he held several jobs previously. Through his experiences, he learned that construction is not for the faint-hearted. And to thrive in the industry, you need to be willing to put in the time and effort into understanding and handling the tasks involved on a construction site. And after more than 30 years in the field, Peter is now an established leader within the industry. In this episode, Peter talks about his past positions and discusses how they led him to co-creating a construction company. So, Peter, you've got your degree, you've got a fluoro vest on and a hard hat, you look like a politician entering the workforce, you've got a job with Lewis Construction. What happened for you there? Actually, I'm just trying to think if we even had fluoro vests back then. I'm not sure that we did. <laughs> no safety requirements whatsoever? Well, there were certainly safety requirements, but um, the fluoro vest was something that was sort of in transformation mode at that point in time, I think, from memory. Nice. It's all you see on the streets these days. These days, yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Normal day for you at Lewis Construction. What happened? Well, like I say, I, I got on there as a as a student to start with as part of my third year of a course, and then um, they gave me a few dollars through my last year and uh, of university, and I stayed with them for a couple of years afterwards. But yeah, it was really a, as a cadet type education role, and it was really just getting on the jobs and you know, you'd be assigned to a project manager or a site manager and really just follow them around for the first bit just to look and learn because some of the stuff you were dealing with, especially with Lewis, they were a tier one builder. They were one of the biggest builders in Melbourne uh, back in the late 80s and 90s. At that point in time, there was what they called the big six buildings going on in Melbourne, which transformed the skyline back then. And one of those was 530 Collins Street, which became the stock exchange building, which has now moved again. But I was involved with that building Pretty much all the, some of the concrete structure I sort of helped coordinate and also um, a lot of the finishes work, all the marble and granite and precast work that was involved with putting all that together. And I was I was really just helping out where I could. It was a bit of an eye-opener for me, you know, the union side of the world back then. It wasn't a place for the faint-hearted, uh, a lot of it, so I learned pretty quickly. I was on the um, the Rio trucks. They had, the, uh, they had basically trucks come in in the morning at 6 o'clock with reinforcement you're standing out on the street on top of these trucks, sorting out where the reinforcement's going and the crane's coming down and picking up the steel and taking it up to level 44 or 50 or whatever it is. You know, that was an eye-opener for me. I was sort of up at quarter past five or five o'clock every morning and on the truck at 6am in the morning. So that was enough for a little school kid or uni kid that previously hadn't been sort of um, rolling out of bed till nine o'clock in the morning. So look, they certainly gave you a good education on what was involved in the actual construction. Like I say, it was an eye-opener. There was certainly nowhere near as many people as there are on construction sites now with respect to just the management teams. I think that project, we had you know four or five sheds with people in them from a management structure, and you probably had 25 or 30 people in the management structure, whereas now you'd have up to 100 plus probably on a, on a job of that size. You mentioned there it was an experience to watch and learn. Were you encouraged to ask questions as well? Or was it more just a do as I say type of situation? I think initially you're basically just following someone around and it depends on your relationship with that person. Um, one or two of the guys that I sort of tagged along with were, became really good friends and we sort of got along well. And if, if you knew the person well enough, you'd, you're happy to ask questions and learn along the way. Have you noticed that's very different to the generation coming through now for the people, the, the, the young kids that you're working with? They're much more confident in asking questions if they don't know? I think they are. I think uh, one of the biggest differences with working in those days as opposed to now is that obviously that 
everywhere you've go, you've got a you've got a laptop or an iPhone or a, an iPad, and you're basically in the digital world, even with construction. Whereas uh, there was no such thing as a computer on site really back in those days. So we're basically just walking around, writing everything down on paper. Everything was written and duplicated. You were looking and learning at drawings and so forth as you go. So it was a little bit different. So what were some of the things that you learnt while being involved with Lewis Construction? It's a big construction site, so you're learning a lot about the big stuff. So pumping concrete up 40 storeys and dealing with people that are from all sorts of backgrounds, all varieties of life, to be honest. So it was, uh, it was a bit of an eye-opener as a kid coming through at that stage. What sort of skill sets do you need to rely on in order to, to be successful in, in that type of world? I think you just need to be able to talk to people sometimes. Um, you know, I wasn't that forthcoming as a kid either. I think if you don't sort of put your hand up and ask questions or get involved with the conversations and stuff, it gets difficult. No different to now, but, you know, a lot of people now sort of stick their heads in a computer and write emails all day. That's the only, that's probably the difference. <laughs> it's more the communication piece, which is what I try to say to the kids that come through our business now to make sure that, you know, it's about relationships with people, not necessarily just sending an email off to someone that you don't even know or you know, pick up the phone first rather than actually send an email to them. Is that the most important soft skill for you, communication? Well, I think that is. I think that's not just construction industry based. That's probably in most industries I would have thought. Yeah, things can go off the rails pretty quickly if you're dealing with a lot of people and people get the wrong idea or, you know, emails and so forth can get construed in lots of different ways. So you can end up in a position where you don't necessarily want to be and so... But for the sake of a phone call, you could have saved yourself 50 or 60 emails, maybe. At least. What are some other soft skills that are important to you as a, as a business owner and an employer? I think negotiation skills. I think it's important to be able to um, know how to negotiate with people and not be too scared to say what you think, but also be hard enough to actually say what you think as well. So um, that's important. It's relationships. I mean, at the moment um, in my business now, it really becomes down to We've got to win work and then we've got to do the work and we've got to finish the work and get it all done properly, obviously. That comes down to negotiation and relationship skills with people. And I say to my guys, we run quite a few projects, but on each project in every team, there's going to be someone that's going to be difficult to deal with because at least one person. So you've actually got to work out who that person is and, and how you can actually uh, manage that situation to, to everyone's advantage. So, Peter, when did you realise that your time at Lewis Construction was coming to an end? Well, I finished at Lewis Construction in 92 or thereabouts, and that stage, that was um, coming into a recession in Victoria, probably one of the last ones we sort of had, really. It's been pretty good since then, but there was actually a time when construction work was pretty scarce and things had changed a bit, and um, those big six buildings had been built and a lot of the other stuff was coming to a close at that point in time. So there was plenty of people out looking for work. I finished off tidying up a lot of defects and commissioning work on Herald and Weekly Times building in Port Melbourne at the time, which is no longer there. And the writing was on the wall with respect to future work. So I sort of got hold of some uh, guys I used to work with. They were subcontractors for me on the Sock Exchange building, a company called JA Dodd, and I sort of basically rang up the um, rang up the boys there and got a position there as a um, junior project manager and um, a lot smaller projects subcontracting type work to builders or small construction works like schools and and so forth but yes I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity to get on with them at that time so you just took the next opportunity that came along there there was a few options but I'd sort of chased that down I think I remember at the time I was actually 
I'd sort of finished with Lewis and I was getting married in three weeks' time and I spoke to um, J.A. Dodd and they said they had a role on that. They'd give me some time off to get married first and then I'd start the next week and I'll stay with J.A. Dodd and became construction manager and director there by the time I left in 2004. So I think I was a director there when I was about 32 from memory. It was a good opportunity there because they just they were sort of growing a bit at the time as well. So And when you're in with the company that, that is growing, then there's, that creates opportunity for everyone. So that was good. I was um, a director there. I had another director, Duncan McPherson, who I've basically been working with and known, you know, since I started there. And, and he's still he's my business partner now. So I've been working with Duncan for like thirty odd years. So um, we sort of got a one-two combination that started back in those days, and we've sort of managed uh, our way through JA Dodd and then onto Two Construct, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. Let's talk about it now. How did you realise that that was what you wanted to go and do? You wanted to start a construction company from the ground up. A lot of things in life are about opportunity. Uh, the opportunity to set up to construct came about because of the opportunity of some changes in ownership and so forth at, at J.A. Dodd at the time. I had a decision to make some of the ownership things changed at uh, J.A. Dodd in 2004, early 2004. So I had the opportunity either to stay at J.A. Dodd and continue on and uh, manage that business, or I had opportunities to go to some of the big construction firms and actually had an opportunity to go to Sydney at one stage and, and work there. Or I could have gone out with, with Duncan, who at the same time was, was leaving J.A. Dodd, and we thought we could start this up and sort of do it do it ourselves. So in the end, you know, because we've been in the industry for a while, we obviously had some relationships there, and you can't start up a business without relationships. You've got to have someone that's going to back you along the way. So um, so we basically got started in the middle of that year, and... Um, you know, we're fortunate enough to have some people that backed us in on a few projects. And once we got our first and second project, we were sort of off and going. And we had some people that we'd worked with at J.A. Dodd who came across with us. And the rest has sort of been history a bit from there. So we've sort of grown into a reasonable size business now with 80-odd people across the business working on somewhere between 18 and 20 projects generally at any point in time. Talk to me about that then. So from the start when you met with your mate Duncan, discuss your idea about going into business together to the point where you've got 80 staff dealing with a a lot of customers and a lot of big high-end projects, what happens in between? How do you take it from an idea to a solidified business? It's just persistence really. And one thing leads to the other and you you have an opportunity to win a project here and you win another project there and you do the best you can on the, the jobs that you have and Hopefully that holds you in good stead for the next project. It, and it's just it's just time, to be honest. It's not like it's not anything else. It's taken you're not an overnight success these days. Um, you know, it takes it takes a long time to get those things up and going. So so it's been a rolling sort of a thing over over a number of years and we've sort of grown and put people on and become a more professional business over that period of time as well. So there, there's a lot of processes involved in in running a business that size now and it gets it's getting more and more complex with all the with all the requirements and compliance issues that you have across the board. So what hasn't worked along the way? Most things have worked. I mean, we've been fortunate, and I say this to people all the time, I think if you live in Melbourne and you're in construction, you haven't had a bad run. I mean, Melbourne's been on the up for 30 plus years. Melbourne's gone from a small city to a major world city. And if you've gone from a small city into a a world city, you're doing a lot of construction all the time. And, um, you know, you've only got to look at the numbers. I mean, the numbers may change a little bit going forward because of what we've just been through. But the growth of Melbourne has been extraordinary. And to be involved with, um, if we're in education, which we are a lot of, we do a lot of education work and civil type projects as well. 
there's been opportunity along the way. So it really has just been a, a case of managing that opportunity. I mean, some people could say that we could have made our business bigger, but we've always tried to make it, you can only grow as, as much as people let you as well. And there's financial considerations with respect to that as well. You've got to have security and, and financial backing for people to, um, to put up those securities and so forth to do the next job. So it has been a sustained growth, which, is, which has been good. And um, so far, we've managed it reasonably well to, to get to this stage. How do you manage your time when you've got a number of customers who are probably on the phone to you, emails, as you've mentioned before, always wanting something, then you've got your staff in the same position, they want to know things from you as well. How do you manage your time to get through to make sure that you're actually focusing on the tasks that you need to complete? It's getting more and more difficult, I think. Most of the stuff, uh, time is sort of managed in between meetings and so forth. There's some meetings that, that I need to go to that don't get changed because there's a whole lot of other people involved. So you sort of run, you set your diary up around what meetings you've got during the week and then, you know, you set up your your internal process meetings and so forth as well for your people. Uh, sometimes it's organised chaos and sometimes it's not. <laughs> of course, the customer never knows when it's organised chaos though, right? <laughs> well, sometimes you get, you get you know, you mightn't get a phone call for uh, potential projects or anything for, for weeks and all of a sudden you get five in one afternoon. Uh, then you've got to organise your teams to start getting those processes happening. So... A lot of the time we're employing people or putting professionals in place in the anticipation of what may come rather than, than what's there. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of chicken and egg sort of stuff. So you've really got to have the professional staff in place so that you can, uh, when the opportunities come, you can actually put your bids and so forth together to get to the next project. I guess that comes back to planning and, and preparation. So in your opinion, what's the most important element to putting in place a plan? We sort of have an annual strategy type meeting with our senior guys and we try and sit away in a somewhere separate from the office for at least a day and work out a strategy and a plan for how we're going to progress for the next 12 months. And then we'll set that into our into our business plan and try and put a program around that. You know, who do we need to employ? What things do we need to do to get to our, our goal? So our goal might be to reach a certain uh, revenue target, for example, or do some other things. But whatever's in the plan, we try and put it into an actual program and then stick to some of those tasks. So some of those tasks you've got to make fairly routine and you've just got to monitor and progress, you know, weekly or monthly as, as you need to. So Is that a, uh, a flexible plan or is it a bit more rigid? It's rigid, but it's until it has to become flexible. <laughs> well answered. <laughs> like, you know, we've, we've put our plans in place for, you know, the last couple of years for what we're going to do and obviously we've had to change all those. The COVID pandemic's been interesting uh, the construction industry got away with it pretty well for the first um, for the first lockdown in 2020, but this year's been a little bit different with um, the construction industry being locked down and we've had um, minimal people on sites as well. So it's it's definitely been a been a hit to hit to most construction businesses because your your revenue and so forth is is down, but you've still got an overhead of people to to pay. So it's probably a bit tough for the first six months this year, but we're thinking that uh, with the amount of work that is around to tender or to, to look at at the moment, there's going to be a fairly big bounce next year. So so we'll see how things go. But yeah, so plans need to be flexible, but you know, people also want to see, you know, our banks and our insurers and all sorts of people want to see our plans and our business plans and what we're doing and what we're thinking of doing, because you can't sit still as a business either. You've got to be able to grow. And if you don't grow, your people won't stay with you either because, um, because they want to grow and they want to have the opportunity to grow into positions 
for their own careers. You mentioned there, Peter, you've got a, a few things coming through already in the pipeline for next year. So does that indicate to you that the, the future is bright for your industry? Uh, I think so, yeah. Look, like I said about Melbourne before and even Sydney and other, Australia is um, continually growing and even if times are a little bit bad, there's always work going on now. So, you know, we've been around long enough now that we've got a reputation and we've got some substance. So that does hold you in good stead, even though, you know, construction companies traditionally don't necessarily have a lot of substance, some of them, because they can be here one day and gone the next. But if you've been around for a while, you do, it does actually count for something. So um, you've got to roll with the punches. And I can just see that the amount of work that's coming in to our business now for the in the next, just before Christmas right now, it's going to hold everyone in good stead for next, for next year. And you know, the economists all say that there's going to be a bounce after a pandemic, don't they? That's generally what they're saying. So in terms of the next generation coming through then, how do you think they can positively impact the construction industry? Oh, I think the construction industry is changing all the time. I think technology is making a, a massive change now. I mean, we're in the midst of it. Over the last four or five years, the amount of IT-related uh, software packages and web-based systems and so forth that we now use uh, is changing the whole industry. So, you know, everything's getting done more compliance-wise, you know, faster, quicker, stronger, all those things that I think technology is on the verge of changing is starting to happen. I think it's still got a little way to go because some things are still fairly clunky, but certainly management systems and and things are a lot more efficient than what they used to be. So, you know, the amount of paper we used to have just on OHS and so forth in side offices and so forth, all that now is basically on, on IT systems, web-based systems, and I can basically go to every site, I can log into every site and see who's on the site and what they're doing and basically get live photos and everything else of, it, of the site. So technology is certainly changing the, the managing or the complexity of projects. They still need to build buildings, you know what I mean? Some, someone still has to put a brick on top of another brick. So it'd be interesting to see how far it all goes. Peter, thank you very much for spending some time with me talking about your industry and it's uh, very positive to hear that you think it's well positioned going forward. No worries. Thanks, Luke, and thanks for your time. Much appreciated. Peter is right in saying that technology continues to change the construction industry. And because of it, students now have the opportunity to take advantage of new and efficient systems to learn and grow in the field. In time, you might be able to reap the benefits the industry has to offer and create your own company, just like Peter has. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, Assault Studios production.